Welcome to all you curious minds out there to another episode of Flying Chariots The Rise. Guys, before we start, I'd like to thank everyone out there for the support, whether it's in the form of emails, comments or by subscribing. You guys are just wonderful. Because we do all this not just to feed our brains with the puzzle pieces of a bigger picture, but mostly for all you out there. There are so many interesting people on this planet that unfortunately don't get enough attention. And this is why people like Brandon, Dustin or my German colleagues as well as Agi sit at their desks every day to find and research these interesting topics for you. But all of this would be worth nothing without your love and support. So once again guys, a big thank you. But now let's get high on some knowledge guys. Tonight I have the great honor and pleasure of talking to two incomparable adventurers. On one hand we have the host and author Agi Nost, who previously honored us with his extensive knowledge and experience and mesmerized us with his wide-ranging expertise. On the other hand we welcome Brandon Thomas, the host of the Expanding Reality podcast. In his show Brandon engages with fascinating guests, utilizing his talent and intellect to skillfully explore even the most incredible topics, coaxing surprising answers that leave us all astonished. And alongside Brandon and Aggie, we'll be jumping down some interesting rabbit holes today, guys. Of course, all of you out there are also invited to share your opinions and critiques on today's topics with us in the comments. Okay, guys, welcome, you curious folks out there, and thank you for joining us for the latest episode of Flying Chariots The Rise. All of you sitting at your devices, feel free to hit the like button already, because if you've seen who are our guests today, you know it's going to be good. With me today are Agi Nost and Brandon Thomas. How are you doing, guys? We're holding up. <laughs> Every day above ground's a great day, so I'm doing well. Yeah. I'm sitting with you gentlemen right now. This is outstanding. Let's jump right in, uh, Agi. Agi changed uh, our master plan a little bit before we started. And uh, he wants to start off with a very, very interesting and important topic. Yeah, uh, I know we're going to probably get into about every corner of the universe by the time we're done. But uh, that's good. But I just thought of something right before uh, I connected with you guys. And that is that... When people talk about looking glass and shape-shifting UFOs and things like this, and uh, when you, if you talk to Joe Blow and Harry Hohandle down the street about these things, his eyes glaze over and they slide back in, in the back of the head and they walk off, stumble away from you. They don't want to hear it because they don't understand. That's because they haven't really looked into the science behind these things. And... I have. The thing is that we have been so royally screwed by the people that upstairs that think they own us that we have been brainwashed into thinking that whatever they do and whatever they say is the absolute truth. And you flip that coin around and I would say whatever they do and whatever they say is the absolute lie. I can probably pretty close to prove that because 
When it comes to, I mentioned before the show, the looking glass, that's just one small technology that is used to know the future and also have a look at the past. And that sounds so ridiculous. There are some scientists that is saying that, yeah, there may be something to that. Another one is, uh, I wrote something down here, and that is, uh, I have it in notes from before, and that says, Ben Rich, he was the, um, he was the head of the Lockheed Skunk Works. And he said one time that we know how to take E.T. home, and it would not take a lifetime to do it. We already have the means to travel among the stars, but these technologies are locked up in black projects, and it would take an actual god to ever get them out to benefit mankind. Now, if we think about that for a moment, he didn't say that last week. He, uh, from the, you know, technology that they, le they developed in the last couple of years. No, he said that in 1978. 78, 88, 98, 2008, 2018, that is 45 years ago. Can you imagine what their technology is now? We need to think about that. Next time that somebody tell us something that is way out there, maybe it's possible. But also he said, if you have seen it on Star Trek, we already know how to do it. There is an error in the equations, and we know what it is. If we can imagine a lot of things that can be done, mostly expressed through science fiction, if only 10% of that is actually real, can you imagine what that would do for us? Now, that, that's powerful. I, that's why I am totally on board with the looking glass and many other, other things that uh, I looked into that sounds like sound fiction but is real. And remember also, the head of the CIA under Ronald Reagan, uh, William Casey, he said, when we find that everything the American public believe is false, we know our disinformation program is working. Where are we? Everything we think we know may be a lie. Can we live with that? And that is not just America. The rest of the world is also a, uh, a lapdog to the United States and the CIA. They have a lot of power. Well, up to now, it's changing real fast. Wow. If you look at those things, I just put a post on my uh, Facebook page. Somebody that came out from the dark behind the scene now is a as a uh, whistleblower, and he said that they have been working with polymorphid metals. That is metals that will react to magnetic fields or mine-to-mine -mine commands. Though that metal is graphene oxide. Guess where we have that these days? Because they're saying that you can build a ship of this metal. And then the AI that controls it would be able to give it commands to take on the looks 
that is commanded into the program. It can Amazing. change shape or it can heal itself. If, if let's say it was shot at and there was a hole in there, the substance will fill in the hole and repair itself. We're talking about black goo, the black goo project, maybe that and also the uh, graphene. Do you think that some of these craft could be alive, like organic beings? I'm thinking of Dave uh, Dare when he said that he went and shot his rocket out at Area 51. He was also shown a craft, allegedly, or the heart of a craft, and he felt intuitively that it was alive and that it was organic in nature. That also sort of takes care of the interface issue with pilots being able to respond with commands via physical controls, right? It's an interface issue. It has to take that amount of time. Being interface directly, that's an efficient way to travel. I love what you're talking about, about the self-replicating or the self-healing sort of uh, uh, alloys as well. And, you know, it's so interesting. We have such a limited perspective of what is possible here. I think, like you said, through an apprehension of consciousness, there's a perception management that goes on with our governments around the world and especially the space programs to a large degree about what's going on here. And it's interesting to shine the light on this stuff. And man, I'm grateful that we're doing so. So this just opens up to more questions of what this, the possibilities of something like this could be. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, what David Adair said, and also what uh, others have said, I think those ships, they are sentient. Why shouldn't they be? We have robots today that claim they are sentient. If you expand the technology, let's say a thousand years into the future, that may be the case in some of those alien technologies. Why should they not be sentient? Let's throw logic in the middle of it and uh, destroy the paradigm of all the naysayers. It's so interesting what Brennan just said, because not too long ago, I recorded an episode with my uh, with my friend and talked about this uh, black goo, about the black yeah. project. And we talked about if how black goo could be a spaceship and its own pilot at the same time. It's practically what you just said, Brendan. I find it so interesting, man. Well, it's fascinating to think of these concepts as or in integrated organics, right? Because it changes the definition of life at that point. Because if we're, you know, you've got Elon Musk wanting to shove Neuralink in your head, and that's just the next step, because you'll you'll find the interface to be so efficient that you'll be crazy not to have it on a level of commerce or anything like that due to the yep. speed and efficiency of this thing, if enough people take it, which we know they're gonna, right? And so oh, it's interesting yeah. to see this biological integration with technology or technocracy as we've been talking about, and then just scale it up as, as Augie was saying here, give it a few thousand years and uh, you know see what they do with it. Now you're a pilot flying your own ship that can change into whatever and heal anytime. It's fascinating. Absolutely. And that chip in the brain, uh, that will, yeah, it will start out on the inside. But will exp it later technologies, you don't have to put it inside the skull anymore. It will be hanging off the air or somewhere on the outside, which will interact with the brain through a magnetic field that transmits information back and forth. So this is coming. And those that have that brain chip, they will have unlimited access to everything on the Internet. Think about that. All oh, the people's going to love it. You know, I think about that, but then I think about what the Internet's turned into and would that be a good thing? 
Because think of all the spams and click-offs and bots and all that kind of shit, and then scale that a couple whenever they were able to roll this thing out, and then now you're bombarded with that constantly. Honestly, pass, just for that reason alone. I don't have my notifications on for those simple reasons, but just to navigate those things can be maddening in itself. And if you look at this place as all mental and energy expansion, as I do, then you, you just don't participate in such things. But then to yeah. scale this again, to integrate it, to say, oh, but you'll have the majesty of the internet. Well, a lot of the internet shit, to be honest with you. So, I mean, I'd like yeah. to be able to tailor it a bit, probably. Agree. I think I uh, I will probably want this, the second one to the last one to do this. <laughs> but uh, I think also that a lot of people will because of the capabilities, like you said, in business and in science, you can do amazing things with it until that the body figure out that it's a foreign object and they start rejecting it. I'm sure that's going to happen a lot. Well, do you think that they're, I, I feel that what's occurring is they're biologically engineering us to be more accepting of non-biological material in the chemtrails and the foods and the metals that are yeah. in heavy metals that are in our foods and our vaccines, <clears throat> all that kind of stuff. So if you're going to stick that chip in your head, you've made a level of decisions that enables your body to be fortified for such a thing because you're, you know, eating the Doritos, you're, you're uh, taking a pass on your spiritual growth. You're, you're not working out, you know, there's, there's like a list of things you're yeah. probably doing that says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me that thing. And uh, maybe it, it's preconditioning us to be uh, terraformed, honestly, for this horrible integration in some level. Yeah. Maybe with the hybrid programs all about too, at some degree. I, I sure hope and I kind of think it is uh, the internet that is available through that chip will be somewhat like a computer that you don't have to look at everything all the time. If you want to look at something, you think on it and I say, I want that and then that will show up. So we don't have the spams and all of it, you know, flooding us all the time, maybe just whatever we want to see is coming into uh, conscious awareness mm -hmm. i would think so that's an interesting thought that's an interesting thought but but um who will have access to this technology not everybody we, we wouldn't yeah <laughs> uh, here's the thing is if it's free i bet you it's going to be very available and that's my my call <laughs> on this it's going to be extremely affordable and very available because they're going to want as many people to have it as possible and so there's going to be an elite version where it doesn't hijack your consciousness and make you go Manchurian candidate in the middle of the night. But that level is only available for the gold plus members, which, yes, you will not be a part of. Right. Mm -hmm. And so th there's a level of filter, perhaps, that's installed an upgrade that you get at a certain level. But they are going to pass this thing out in Cracker Jack boxes. You mark my words. They're going to want everybody to have this. <laughs> yep. I guess so. Yeah, we we already have it in in the form of our cell phones. I see kids running around outside. Everybody sticks its face into this fucking device. It's driving me mad, man. I, I remember when I was when I went to school back then. I was at the bus station. I don't know, playing ball with my with my buddies until the bus came. <laughs> now you're going to the to the to the bus station to the train station. All these kids standing there, and the, nobody's talking with each other. Everybody's looking at his cell phone. They they standing side by side, but nobody's communicating with each other. I, I'm this is crazy. Yeah, yeah. That that's the downside of it. We we lose sight of each other. The, it creates a separation, and it connected it that is only to the through the device. I it's it's hard to wrap my mind around the thought that 
there's people out there and I know there there is, of course I know there is, um, but it's hard to wrap my mind around that we have people creating that shit and they really want people to to become like this. That makes me, that's wild, man. It makes yeah. me, the thought makes it's me crazy. It's when you start inserting models, like I've been researching lately the Demiurge and that this place is really a post-tribulation, you know, rapture place. If you want to look at it like that, it starts to make a lot of sense on an energetic harvest level, especially when you're talking about integrating <coughs> technology with this thing, which is all integrated in technology. That's how it transfers because it's organic materials here. So anything like that claims to be inorganic, yes, but also it's made here uh, of this place, of this terra firma with electrical properties, magnetic properties that still apply and they apply to your bodies as conduits as well. So it's interesting uh, when we start this bifurcation method of this psychology, which is really what it is, and some people call it a spiritual warfare. I'm not a fan of the idea that it's automatically combative, but I do agree with the turmoil observation that it's challenging. Uh, and so you could call it a war, but also this technocracy integration. I think it's the same thing, just masking itself at different levels. And really, this is what the 5D or the fifth dimension is all about, is taking you deeper into the game. Either spiritual people will want it on that basis or technocracy folks will want it on that basis and they'll willingly take it. Either way, yeah. it's diving deeper into the illusion in some degree. Um, it, it also, I feel, will be available through a cell phone program. I'm grateful that you brought that up, Daniel. It's like it'll kind of be an option for an upgrade at some point with your cell phone. It'll just be offered by Apple and it'll just be integrated with um, Neuralink. And what it does is, is instead of this brick you got to carry around, which will be stupid, people are going to make fun of other people. It's going to be a tribal thing to be extra... Uh, what is it extricated from the tribe just simply because you don't take this mark right this thing um, but eventually that brick will be phased out it'll be antiquated and then you can't even get that and it'll just be the head thing uh, that you had the option for i think this is what's occurring and it does like i said feel spiritual but it's being packaged as something else is what i feel yeah like. now they camouflage it very well Fucking a. and yeah. they want everybody to be on it i seen uh, there's booths here on the street in tucson where it says free free cell phone government is giving it out especially <clears throat> we have a lot of homeless people in tucson because it's nice and warm in the winter so they are walking around and making sure all the homeless people get a cell phone what is the motivation for that they 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 give away cell phones to absolutely everybody that signs up for it and it's, of course it's 5g so here we go. They want everybody, just like China, they're giving away a cell phone to every citizen in China, free. It is. There's it's a. Like, it's uh, sorry, Brandon. It's like it's like watching a science fiction movie, and you, as the observer, you you're sitting in front of your TV and and you and you say, "What the fuck? Why why don't you guys get it? Yes. I, I know the plot already, and these guys in the TV in the, in the story they just don't get it, but." Mm -hmm. We're in it. Absolutely. Sorry, Brandon, please go on. No, uh, brilliant observation. I'm with you because we all get this. What the fuck are you talking about kind of moment? You know, you're just like, are you kidding me with this? How do you not see it? And it's a tough time. And that's honestly, I feel an energetic sink in itself. That's a game. That's a whirlpool in itself where, yes, obviously these things are paradoxical in nature. They're uh, riddled with uh, confusion and with uh, subjugation of your rights, of your natural sovereignty. You have to uh, abjugate yourself constantly to the system, but no one can see it. And I'm to the point to where, man, I'm done yelling. I'm done Paul revering, right? I thought I was done with it and then went through a new level of dark night of the soul where I'm really over this shit. 
And so I'm just on my path. If you're in my path, I'm, I will be of service. And you guys know me personally. I'm I'm here to be of, of the greatest of service. I have a lot to offer. But anything other than that, no, I'm out of it. Because it's this idea of offering your energy to something. And that, I feel, is the real currency here, which, again, what this, like, tapped into your phone constantly, this constant distraction from your purpose or from your, just your joys in life. And it's this apprehension of your consciousness, which is what I feel yeah. fa fascinating about this whole damn place, man. But there was... To, to the last point, I'll wrap up. The Dell Computer Company did this with children in uh, the schools in America. They gave all these laptops away, and it come to find out the laptops were spying on every single household that was given yep. a laptop to. So the whole point to remember here, kids, is if it's free, you're the product. Okay, keep that in mind. <laughs> right. There's an old saying that I've been using ever so often. Yeah. Is, why, why does me, mice, get killed in the mousetrap it's because they don't understand why the cheese is free nailed it i love that <laughs> yeah. nailed it augie god <laughs> do you guys remember when you were at one point in in life we all also me we were young and wild and free and we had no cell phones and, and all that stuff yeah and we wanted it all i i had big plans for my life man I had really <clears throat> big plans for my life i wanted this and i wanted i wanted everything i wanted to conquer the world i wanted to travel i wanted this and that but now you have these young people there i i have a stepson and a a, a daughter here with almost 12 the, with the faces in the cell phone every day Mm. I just want the latest iPhone. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. I I wanted it all when I was young. I didn't know about cell phones when I was 16 and, and, and about the internet and stuff like that. It was 96. I think the internet was there already, but I had no internet and nobody I knew had internet. And I didn't care about the internet and, and about cell phones. I wanted to conquer the world, man. But now the dreams are a little bit smaller, I, I guess. Yeah, and uh, when I grew up as a little kid, I was amazed at the telephone. You could talk into this thing and they could actually hear you across town? Oh, man, that, I, I mean, that dates back so far. My telephone number when I was a little kid, like five, six, seven years old, was number three. <laughs> Because we were number three in our Uh, part of the country to to get telephone. <laughs> That's such a funny joke. It's like an old person joke. It's like uh, you're so old yeah. in history class. Uh, you just wrote down what you were doing. You know, when I was young, yeah. my phone number was three. Right. It's just a great. That's hilarious, man. Yeah. <laughs> But guys, let me change the topic here for a second. Um, yeah. But well, we're not really changing just a little bit because you started off with um, the project Looking Glass with uh, timelines and stuff. And in our first recording, Augie, you and you and I, and maybe Brandon and I talked about it too, I don't recall. Um, in our first recording, we only briefly touched um, on the subject of time travel. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with the topic and of course you have your thoughts on it. And I think today is a good opportunity to take a closer look at the topic of time travel. Because there are many different um, views and aspects, theories, whatever here. So what is your approach when we're talking about time travel, Augie? Well, it's uh, traveling in time. First of all, it would probably be good to understand what is time? 
Is it even real? I hear scientists are telling people that there is no physical evidence to the fact that time travel even exists. So then, how do we have time? Well, <clears throat> I have a little bit of an advantage in understanding that because I did have the universe downloaded to me in, an, in, a, in a download where I can see how things worked. And time, uh, let's see, how should I go about time? Uh, it's kind of like the only thing there is, is the present moment. But we have present moments that is stacked in form of pictures or, or um, mental image frames, one after another one. And they are stacked so close that when we move through it, it looks like one movie and you are the star actor in it. Now, the distance between each frame is appeared to be the Planck distance. And now, when we understand that there are only present moments and they are placed one after another and we move through it, that explains the physical part of it. But there's more than that to time too, because it is recorded. Once we pass through those frames, whatever is back here doesn't go away. It is recorded. And on top of that, if we have thought about something, it is placed into the unified field as potential for physical creation. So, actually, we create the future before we move through it. And now, uh, if we are to, uh, the physical reality is kind of locked into some laws where there is very little fluidity. But once we step outside into, let's say, plasmic fields, or at a higher vibration than what we can see in the physical reality, in that narrow band that we can observe and participate in, then there are other realities. If we accelerate ourselves to a higher vibration out of the physical, we can move forward and backward in time to a predetermined, uh, mentally desired present moment. And then we lower, this is what, what spaceships, uh, extraterrestrial ships, I suppose, what they do, they accelerate out of the physical travel to any place they want, and then they lower the vibration into that specific present moment of time. And now they operate there and they can participate in whatever goes on there. And they can accelerate themselves again and come back, decrease the vibration again and participate. So that is one way of doing it. And now, of course, there is there is other ways. And that is by creating a plasma bubble that is also out of the physical 
And inside of that plasma bubble, you can direct it in different directions. I, the, probably somewhat of the same type of mental technology, but I believe uh, it could be probably, I would say, easier to do that. There are technologies uh, like the, the time travel device that I have, and uh, there's a very strong electromagnetic uh, electromagnet that creates a bubble around the body. And inside that bubble, you can direct it. I have some strange pictures uh, that is probably one of the few evidence of time travel that there is. In fact, if you go to broadcastteamalpha.com, Go into the picture gallery, and I believe it is page 17 in the middle of the page. There's two pictures next to each other. They look similar, but they're not. But they're also taken at the same time. Two different realities. So there's also time slippage involved as well as time travel. And if you read the text in there, you will understand how it was done. So this is uh, this is what uh, BBC Television got excited about in two thousand and three, and they were coming over to the United States to do a. Uh, hey, there you go. Uh, yeah, you got to go to page seventeen to scroll down a little bit. If if you do that, I'll uh, talk in the meantime. Uh, BBC Television they found out about a TV show that I did in Tucson where I was interviewing the guy that created the time travel device. It got very interesting. BBC television called and said, we're coming over to the United States to do a uh, TV documentary on time travel. We're going to have Meteor Kaku and Green, and uh, I think they mentioned another uh, theoretical physicist on there. He talked me into joining them. I learned a lot since that video. How was Dr. Green in person? Um, the, the thing is that I never got to meet them because okay. the, uh, Michio Kaku did, it, did the interview in New York and Green, he did it somewhere else and I did it in New Orleans. Uh, so they got me down there. I learned a lot about timelines because we are in timelines from, we can switch timeline, create new timelines. And uh, I've done that several times. Growing up in Norway on the farm, I was supposed to be a farmer. I even went ahead and became an agronomist. But I figured it out. I didn't want to do that. So I left Norway and came to the United States. That's when I created a new timeline for myself. According to quantum mechanics, the old timeline still may exist because it's all energy. I'm wondering how the guy back there is still doing, though. But when you totally change to a different direction than what you have planned or done before, that ends up as a new timeline. So when back in 2003, I was all embedded in the horrors of what governments are doing, the government corruption and all that, and that's where my mind was. So that's what I saw in the future. And a lot of the stuff that I talk about on there, that didn't happen. Because later, 
I switched. I turned into more of a spiritual quantum mechanic reality because most of the spirituality can be explained through quantum mechanics anyway. So I uh, went that route and I'm glad I did because otherwise probably some of that stuff that I saw would have happened in my timeline. Hmm. But time is movable. It, the, the present moments, you can visit them in the future, you can visit them in the past, but it in a, we are in a mind-created universe, so whatever we create here, and here I'm pointing to the heart because there's a little brain in the heart with some 40 to 60,000 neurons that is responsible for emotion, and emotion is extremely important. The feeling and the motion is very important in communicating with the universal mind. That is the spiritual language. Let me tell you what my approach is when it comes to the topic of time travel. <clears throat> and it's somewhat similar to what you just told us a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I think that if it's mm -hmm. ever possible to travel through time, and we don't have to agree, both forwards and backwards, it won't be a machine that enables us to do so. It will be made possible by our bodies and our consciousness. We will find a way to, yeah, let's let's say we'll find a way to utilize our mental capacity to a great extent, and then, yeah, and then such things will be possible, and not just time travel. Maybe other things too, like like telepathy, telekinesis, or whatever stuff like that. I think um, time travel can be made possible by our bodies and our consciousness if you just know how to do it. And I'm talking about frequencies. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. The you mind... A bunch of ways it happens. Like yeah. uh, Gravinikov's work with the bugs and stuff like that, he was creating these UFOs, but that scaled up as, a U as time travel, right? You know, if essentially these vehicles can lift out of the limits of this realm, which some say would be the speed of light, sort of the signpost of that. But it's interesting when you start talking about these different methodologies for this, for achieving this, what we would find to be supernatural, but then also technologically, I guess, solvable challenge that we have. It's just interesting. I, I think it, I think there's something to all of it. I think the sarcophagus and the um, Great Pyramid at uh, Giza sort of tells us something about resonance as well. That when you lay in that thing, your body sort of does something. And maybe, Daniel, to what you were saying, the mummies maybe are just these dudes that said, you know what, I like the universe better. If I don't come back in like five minutes, you know, just wrap me up and then I'm going to stay there. And then your body's off to the side. And looking at all the things I have over just doing the show and the year, decades of research into the fringe that I've started to look at this, like our bodies as just vehicles in themselves, like vessels, right? Just like the governments treat you in maritime law, you're a vessel. And so this yeah. is inhabitable. And so to what you're saying, Daniel, with your consciousness, then you could just jump into somebody else in a different time, essentially. Maybe it's you, maybe it's not. We, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. But then you think about that movie, um, Dr. Strange, the mouth, uh, damn it, it was about the multiverse. It was the multiverse of madness. That Have you guys seen that yet? No. In that, yeah. basically, there's something called dreamwalking where they're able to take their consciousness and go to a different version of them in another reality and walk around as if it's them with their consciousness. So this is sort of to the degree of what you're talking about. Highly recommend that movie, by the way, uh, directed by Sam Raimi. So it's a, one of the it's one of the different most different Marvel movies if you want to check it out. Anyway, mm -hmm. it sort of is this consciousness thing, but also seems to be solvable by either bug wings or technology. It's fascinating, man. 
Yes, and uh, in fact, I read in about six or seven different scientific journals that, uh, yes, time travel is possible. We know how to do it. And uh, in fact, even uh, Scientific Americans got an article on it, we'll talk to a scientist. There is one major one here over in Europe, and that is uh, bbc.com. Uh, I'll give you the site. Uh, bbc.com forward slash news forward slash July 11, 2018. And they're talking to scientists and they're saying, yes, we know how to build a time machine. So it is possible. And even Michio Kaku says that, yeah, we know how to do that. We just don't have the fuel to fuel it yet. Hmm. <laughs> now, he is omitting to think of the one fuel that can do absolutely anything in a mind-created universe, and that's the mind. He's looking at the nuts on the bolt. Yes. That, that's why he needs the energy of a sun to fuel it. Don't need that. I think I would have the same approach. I'm a nuts and bolts guy. But yeah. let me tell you a little story. If you, if you, if you allow, um, let me tell you a little story. Um, in the same context with uh, time travels, I'd like to talk about all these portal stuff. Mm -hmm. And I have sto heard stories where people have unintentionally entered some kind of portal and experienced a time anomaly. Um, a friend of mine who is an author here in Germany traveled to France many years back with his wife and he visited several places and traveled a lot through the country with his car and at one point they came across a small village. There were really only a few houses which also looked, let's say, pretty poor um, and in not so good condition and um, there were a few people standing around in front of houses and what made him wonder was the fact that these people were dressed kind of strangely, kind of funny and my friend and his wife they decided not to go there directly and uh, instead took some pictures with their camera uh, from, from the distance um, Yeah, because they didn't want these people there to feel bad when tourists come and kind of, mm. don't know see the misery there um, long story short, back home, my friend um, developed the films, and exactly these pictures could not be could not be seen. They were uh, blurred, and could not uh, were not recognizable anymore. So the following year, he went back to the same place, but the village, surprise, surprise, was no longer there. They asked a few people um, many miles down the road about this village. They asked what kind of village was it, what's the name of the village, and and what happened, and they said. They knew nothing about the village there. There must mm. have been one like way back in time. Um, and this raises questions. I believe this guy. He's a friend of mine. He's a personal friend of mine. He's a, a book publisher and um, writes a lot about this portal stuff. And uh, yeah, this um, this story also, this story this drove him to write these books. Like I said, this raises a few questions. Were people really in a time anomaly? And if so... Why and how did it show up? And what was the reason for this portal to open for them? Is it certain people who are causing this? Is it is it us? Or are they just uh, at the right place at the right time? You know, these are the questions I'm asking. I think there's a rift in the time continuum that creates time slippage. 
they slipped into a parallel timeline that had that village in it. And then they came back and they came back home into the first timeline where they were. These kinds of stuff, it happens quite a bit. But our problem is that when these things happen, the first thing we do, we jump right on top of it and we try to explain it away because, no, that couldn't be right. I didn't really see that. I just thought that. That couldn't be right. Don't discard it. It may be very real like that guy lived. What happens if you just stay there? Like, what what would it happen if they were to go into one of those houses, like eat a meal? If they eat the meal, are they now part of that realm? And then when they go back out, their car's gone, or you know, what what happens? Is it is it temporary? Can it take you with it? You know, because we were uh, who's that talking? I was talking to somebody about oh Michael Cameron recently on the show, incredible experiencer and author as well. And he talked about the Oz effect, and that, that would be a question I would have for them as well. Did they have some sort of auditory noticeable change in environment, right? Like all the bugs go silent, everything, right? No birds, whatever. Uh, and he explained that when you're in this thing, it, it you sort of disappear from everything. So this would be why you uh, have this auditory effect is because you're no longer in the environment where those sounds are being generated, but you can see it, which is fascinating. You know, it's it's this really interesting slip over, but as well with these time slip anomalies, is it sort of something you can get stuck in? And is this what sort of the missing persons cases are? You know, because if these do happen in an area regularly, let's say that <clears throat> governments of the world know that these happen in certain areas. Maybe they would forbid those areas or they would limit access to those areas or they would call them national parks and then just people go missing all the time in environments like that, right? Uh, maybe it's just a time slip scooping people up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And especially in the north northwestern part of the United States in the national park, there's a lot of people missing. Of course, they have bears out there too, but uh, right. that doesn't explain everything. There's those um, missing 411 cases that are fascinating. David Pilatus talks yeah. about and just these bodies being found in weird ways with their clothes and awkward or put back on like they were taken off almost in some of these abduction cases as well, where they were kind of put on with their shoes backwards or on the wrong feet or pants backwards, stuff like this, you know, like they were redressed and then dropped uh, from like an awesome height or something like that, because branches then will be broken where their body was laying. It's, it's these crazy things and miles and miles away from where their footsteps just stop in the snow and the dogs have no track anymore. It's these crazy cases like that, but maybe it's yeah. these areas, you know? What you just said reminded me of the Philadelphia experiment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, people were. No, it was just a degaussing. Uh, that was all it was. Yeah, it was yeah. just degaussing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Of course, guys. Uh, uh, Argy gave us an hour, and I want to discuss another topic with with Argy before we uh, come to an end here. And Argy made me curious about an interesting topic. He asked me if I was aware of the Germans. Roswell. Yeah. Please fill us in, Nagi. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned it uh, a couple of three days ago. And uh, did you uh, search anything and find anything on it? I found something that is called the Haunabu myth. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a myth. Of course it is. What else can they say? They can't admit to it. Yeah. They can admit if they it. were to do that, everything will be over. 
because in 75 years, they should have been able to back engineer those things so they could fly with free energy and all kinds of good stuff. No, you can't, you can't admit to things like that. But Germany had their own Roswell in 1936, and that was right down where you're at in Bavaria. It's a large craft, I believe. Um, and okay, let me back up again. Um, a lot of this come from Colonel Wendell Stevens here in Tucson. Uh, he was uh, probably the one that is most knowledgeable on the German flying saucers in the world. He had researched it uh, since the very beginning, and uh, he went to Europe, poked around, and he found a lot of it. He had some German documents written in German, and I was able to read some of that, and uh, it proves a lot of the stuff he was talking about. Because that, in 1936 in Bavaria, when they found, the Germans found that craft, it was rather large. I seem to believe uh, there was about 60 meters across. That's 180 feet or so for you Americans out there. And, uh, and uh, they couldn't get into it. They were poking around for quite a lengthy period of time. Just they tried everything, explosives and blow torches, and they said they couldn't get in, but they did get in. And what they also noticed was that they tried to lift it. And this was a big craft, and one person could lift it. It was almost weightless. So... Evidently, just because the craft did not shut down the uh, the uh, gravity nullification bubble. And that also explains why sometimes we find crashed flying saucers that crashed at hundreds of miles an hour into the ground and suddenly stop. But the aliens inside are still alive. Because the gravity nullification effect acts on every cell of their body. So there is no gravity inside either. So this way they can survive the crash. And uh, <clears throat> what they found out in Germany was that um, they could get in and they found some bodies inside. And uh, I wasn't quite sure if some of them were alive or not, but they did get in there and they took it, they flew it out of there, uh, took it somewhere else, and they uh, were able to back engineer it. And that was probably part of the technology that ended up in the Haunabu uh, 1, 2, and 3, and possibly 4, which they used a little different. but. From uh, what Colonel Stevens said, he said that there was, um, they call it, after they re-engineered it, it was called the Thule engine, the, uh, the um, Dia Glocke, I guess, that, or the bell. So they found a lot of the technology there that they took and brought into the later crafts together with the uh, channelings that Maria Ortiches or Maria Orsic is what she's called. Now, uh, <clears throat> she was channeling information from a being or someone in the Aldebaran star system. Uh, 
and they gave her technology and she kept writing down everything that she was uh, given. And she did that for about a year and everybody was laughing at her. You know, a 19 year old uneducated girl come up with all these equations and yeah, sure you do. And uh, but she did get it finally in front of a high ranking military officer and he thought it was interesting. So he took it to a scientist and the scientist, <laughs> according to what Colonel Stevens said, the scientist looked at the papers and he said, bring me the girl. Because there was something there that he saw that made sense. From there on, she was working with the military. She was giving them more and more information as it was channeled because the person, I guess I should call him, in the Aldebaran star system, he told her that we are giving you this information so you can build a craft to come and visit us. And of course, the Germans had different ideas than that. That was all about conquest and war, what they were concerned, even before the Second World War started. They had plans. So, yeah, this is just one place. And then we have probably, uh, go out on a limb here, but maybe there are hundreds over the last century, hundreds of crashed flying disks that has been collected by different governments. And then most of them end up in the United States because they got the big stick, you know. So uh, it ended up here being back engineered and a lot of the UFOs we see today, they're not from other planets. They're right from Area 51 or the space in Canada, which they build them. Or I think the from what uh, Colonel Stevens said, the Brits are making it and the Russians are making it. And I would say probably the Chinese are making them but they're holding them back for something. So, and I wonder what that is. Are you telling me that the Nazis, Nazis back then, they, they found a crashed UFO and they re-engineered it? Uh, the, uh, the Hanebus, they were taken into the deep dark project in, in uh, Germany and uh, they were very, uh, well, the Black Sun was one of them, and uh, they developed this, and the Führer, uh, the Adolf Hitler, he didn't even know much about it. He knew a little bit about that there were some uh, futuristic technologies that was being developed, but they didn't really tell him a lot, because I think by the time they were into the Second World War, the uh, high command realized that and the sleeping giants, which was America, joined the war, we will probably lose. So they started to move a lot of the technologies out to their bases in Antarctica and other places. I do have some interesting uh, stuff that I was able to uh, glean from the papers with uh, Wendell Stevens. Here, here, I have the specs of Hanabu 2 and the 3. I can uh, take the next 25 seconds to read it to you. This is what uh, 
uh, in fact, I had on my computer, on another computer that crashed on me, a, the fl one of the flight tests of a Hanabu 2 that went from the surface to 60,000 feet in three minutes, straight up against the gravity. Oh, that's pretty quick. And uh, the Hanabu 2 was 26 meters across. That's about 75 feet or so. It was called the V7. They had a Thule Taconator 7C engine in it. That was the, the bell. And uh, they had magnetic directional impulse steering. But there, in some of them also, they had a gyroscope to create stability. And they could go 6,000 kilometers an hour, or that's right, about 13,000 miles an hour. So... Um, the, the hull was double with a cooling liquid inside of it. And the metal that was uh, on the outside was called, they, they developed that. It was called the Victalian, with the name of the metal. And they had a crew of nine people and a bunch of armaments. There are six cannons and uh, they also had a, a weapon system they called the motor stopper, the, the motor stopper. <laughs> and uh, that was uh, actually a pristrone tube, which was a uh, directional EM pulse. As we know, light, it kind of somewhat similar to a laser beam because laser beams, they're, they're all light, but they're phased so that uh, the sine waves don't bump into each other. They are paired so that the light doesn't spread. And here they use the uh, EM pulse, the electromagnetic waves, to be paired so that they didn't spread. They became directional. And uh, as a novelty, they used this one time during the Second World War and the very, very end of it. The, the Allied forces flew about 800 bombers in over Germany in one night. And they lost a third of them that one night. And the Allied forces said, gosh, the Germans have something we don't understand. If, if this is what's going to happen, we're going to lose the war. So they scrambled and created the ground invasion. That's how it happened. It was just thrown together. Couldn't been done worse. That's why so many people died. But the Germans, they flew these Hanabus up behind the fleet. And they aimed the Tristron troop at the aircraft, burned up the electronics. There went the engines, they quit, and they became a glider and crashed in Germany. About a third of the 800. And uh, this was a story that was quite colorful, the way that uh, Wendell Stevens had it, because he had somebody from over there that was a pilot. He talked about it, because when they came up from behind like that, uh, with no lights on them, nobody could see them. They had, they, uh, they, uh, they shut down the, uh, the engines and the radio equipment, so... They couldn't tell anybody that they were going down. Yeah. And uh, the uh, 
Australia, the Hanabu 3 was a little bigger. That was 230 feet wide. And they had a, the same kind of hull with Vactalian medals, a crew of 32 people. And they used it a lot for evacuation of the crew and material down from Germany to the uh, base in uh, base 211 in Neue Schwabenland in, uh, in Antarctica. And Stevens told me there were 19 known test flights with no crashes because the Hanabe 1 was unstable and it crashed a lot, so they couldn't find pilots to fly it anymore. So they scrapped that one and put it on the shelf and they rebuilt it and they became the, the Hanabe 2. What I'm curious about is something that you said earlier. You said um, those uh, rafts were recovered back then and there were also um, occupants. So yeah, it's a description of these uh, of these pilots and and what happened to them. Were they alive or dead or? Uh, some of them probably. Uh, you know, even it was at night. You know, you could, if the moon was out, I don't know. Then you could still see some things on the ground. So you probably could find some fields and land in them. You know. I, I would think that a lot of them did survive. Interesting. Yeah. Just want to point but, out here uh, as well that there are models of this that you can get, and you can actually get the Hanabu one, two, and three, and build these yourself, kids. So. Oh yeah. I see, oh, I've seen that. Oh, that's Gosh. Cool. Along with the swastika, like, all the shit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just for the kids. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, yep. This one. Yeah. By an American-made company, I guarantee it. Oh, so this is go. how it looked. This is how it looked. It looks like a, it looks, it looks man-made. Yeah, it doesn't look out of space. It looks man-made. With the, there was there was one. You you just showed one with the with the freaking gun on its on the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right here. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, and then you think about this thing hovering over you in the forest. You know, as you're walking around, it's just silly, kind of, but really I, ominous and weird. Flying tank. That could very well be a real picture. I'm not sure though. This is, I'm gonna know. say with modern. I'm gonna say it's digital just simply because of the artifact here. Plus, there's no reflection on the window. Yeah. But um, it does look like it would it would be what it would look like had it been out there. And I like these when compared to the men next to them. And you can kind of see. Look at this Pegasus hobbies. These are um, models that you can actually buy and build. Yeah. Uh, and so you've got these vehicles and this guy standing here to show scale. So this is the two, which would be more of the 73-foot variety, right? And then the three would be more of the 120-foot, you said? Yeah. How Wild. many people fit in there? Nine for the crew of the two, right? How many people were in the Hanabu 3? Uh, that, the uh, Hanabu 3 had, uh, got it in my notes here, that was uh, the crew of 32. 32 dudes. 32 people. Yeah. That's wild, it was, man. It was huge. 71 meters across. So this would be the, well, it has a number three on it, but I'm going to call it the Hanabu 2. Yeah, it, yeah that's a two. Yeah, yeah, that's right? a two. See, we've learned a lot here. This is awesome. It is. Yeah, and then we have, uh, according to Wendell Stevens, he says, I don't have the actual documents uh, in German or the physical evidence that they did actually have a Hanabu before. But he said there were people talking about it. And that was 120 meters across. And uh, 
that was a, a, a large crew in it. But they built that, found it before, he said, and they replaced the red mercury that they had in the counter-rotating drums inside of the bell. They replaced it with D2O, deuterium, that's heavy water. And radioactive water, had a, they could get a lot more power out of it, and it was a lot faster. There you go. That's the one. And uh, But the thing about it is that they also discovered that because of the radioactivity throughout the ship, they hadn't shielded it enough. So the people that was working on it got sick and many of them died. And also the metal got brittle from having exposure to the radioactive uh, radiation coming from D2O. What? And he said, there is a strong rumor, he said, that they sent one of these onto Mars, but they lost contact with it, and they have no idea what happened. I was just about to ask if these things are said to be able to fly in, in, in outer space or maybe interstellar space. Oh, yeah. The, the Hanabu 2 did. The Hanabu... Yeah, gravity will... Oh, yeah, they Go sent ahead. the Hanabu 2 to the moon and went around and mapped it. And uh, they found one building up there, a very, very old, probably hundreds of thousands of years old building, stone building, that was a little lapidated. And I have a picture of a NASA print of it in the bottom of a crater showing the building looked like a swastika. <laughs> and uh, the Germans fell in love with that thing, and they uh, started rebuilding it. And uh, I would say that's where they are one of their bases today. You have a picture on Broadcast Team Alpha on uh, BroadcastTeamAlpha.com in the picture gallery. And uh, I remember now that this page 15, I think it is for the uh, the time travel pictures. Mm -hmm. On it, bro. So All right, go have, have a look at that later on. There you go. Yeah. Brandon, look it up. And an interesting uh, little side story since we're talking about the Nazis and you mentioned Hitler and um, we're, we're talking about um, time travel and timelines, um, Brandon and I, we were just uh, a few days ago, we were talking about the Untersberg, which is on right on the border of Germany and, and Austria. And it's known for its time anomalies and um, people say they have seen <laughs> giants there and, and dwarves and all its strange stuff, but it's mostly known for its strange time anomalies and it's also said to be a portal place and mm -hmm. hitler himself he knew about all this myth around the yeah. Ulfberg, and he said people say that I, I can't confirm if it's true but he he said that if he dies he wanted to be buried at the foot of the untersberg because he knew about the all the resurrection stories um because an emperor lies there in, inside the Untersberg and he resurrects every now and then. And um, he wanted to be buried there because maybe he thought yeah. he will he will come back one day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and now we see the, the time travel pictures on the top right-hand corner. And uh, 
if uh, you got to uh, click on it and then the text will come up there you go if uh, if you take the time later on and read that it will make sense the two big differences between the pictures is that one of them the road is wet it's been raining and you have also in one of them you have leaves on the trees and the other one doesn't have leaves on the trees but they're taking one minute and five seconds apart i tried to get back to the same time but it didn't quite work i ended up being one minute and five seconds apart so just go ahead and read that later on when you got the time and you will understand how i did it wow interesting that's yeah, very interesting yeah, yeah it's soaking wet in this when you have the even the lights on and stuff from the overcast yes. and then over here yeah there are differences differences between the two of them and uh it's kind of unlikely that uh, a pitcher would grow leaves in one minute and five seconds that's just a little unreasonable mm -hmm. and uh, i know that there's going to be people saying either yeah he changed the date on it well if anybody know anything about me that that is way above my pay grade i have no clue on even how to think about doing stuff like that I've been sitting on this picture for, I think, 13, 14 years before, I think about a couple of three years, I started talking about it a little bit. I didn't know what to do with it because I, I knew that few people would believe it anyway. So very anyway. interesting, Augie. Yeah. Wow. That's wild, man. Your, your website's a phenomenal resource. So I just want to shout it out again. And that's why also I wanted to make sure we pull it up and show folks uh, to there go are, check it out. Highly recommend yeah. it. There are 5,000 pictures of things that should not be, but it is. But I think um, it's time to wrap it up for today. We are you reached the one-hour mark. <laughs> we crossed it already, Agi, that you gave us. But um, it was a pleasure to talk to you and also Brandon today. I had tons of fun, and I hope we can do this again in this constellation. I would love to. Oh, sure. Just you call and I'll be there. I, I've never met a microphone I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> but, Brandon, um, since you're um, here today, and I really love you, man. You're, you're awesome. And um, shout out to, to, uh, to Brandon, Expanding Reality Podcast. Um, awesome podcast. I just started watching your latest show before we started here with the Flat Earth guy. Ah, uh, yeah, Tyler Hansen. It's a great one. Yeah, he finds dogs and stars. Like the stars, when you look at them and zoom in them, it looks like they're underwater, and he can find dog faces in almost all of them, which Ooh. is dog is God spelled backwards. It's a really deep rabbit hole. It's fascinating. It is. It is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, maybe we should do a show, too. Uh, I'd be honored, I, Doggy. I've already got you on the list, man. We're going to hang out. Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds good. Done. Let's do it. <laughs> No, I'm grateful for this, guys. This was fascinating and outstanding. I mean, I'm, it's just an honor to expand consciousness with you, gentlemen, oh, honestly. It's an honor you guys want to have me on. And uh, by the way, there's something I want to tell you. I don't teach time travel, but I tell you how to do it. In this book, Spiritual Science, Higher Conscious Thinking, and How to Access the Universal Consciousness. First of all, I teach you how to use your mind in ways that you normally would think would be impossible. And I think it's one of the last chapters in here. I explain how you can actually do mental time travel. It's not that hard to learn, but take a little practice. But uh, 
I have run into people after they got the book and they start practicing. Yeah, they were able to do it. So you uh, you can go to Amazon and you'll find the book and you can go go to Amazon anyway and look at all the subjects that is written about. There's about 70 some different subjects, anything but how the universe was created, why there were no Big Bang and all kinds of goofy stuff out there. Broadcast Alpha Team for Agi, Expanding Reality again for uh, Brandon. Guys, thanks to everybody who made it this far in the podcast. Um, we love you guys. See you next time. Please, Agi and Brandon, stay with me for two more minutes, okay? Thank you. Have a good thanks day. Thanks all for watching and listening. This is awesome. <laughs>